1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I think that's where we're at. Should have an outline there, if not, they have them in the back for you. We've been in this text for a while, and some of you say, well, are you going to move on? I said, yes, we will. Uh, but we want to make sure we cover what we need to cover so that we understand where we're going and what we're uh, looking at as we, as we uh, go through the Word of God. Uh, we're focusing on the day of the Lord, and, and this is not the rapture, but this is... The, the term is called the day of the Lord, and we get that out of our text uh, down in verse 2, and I'll just read it for us this morning, First Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, there it is, will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. So we're considering this term, the day of the Lord. We've been considering it for several weeks. And just a reminder, unlike the rapture, which is a single event, the the snatching away of the church is a single event that will happen uh, when Christ returns for his church in the clouds. He says he will come in the clouds and he will catch us up to be with him. So he doesn't come to earth. His foot never touches the ground. Unlike the rapture, the day of the Lord is a multi-time, multi-event circumstance. It's an event that has many signs preceding it in Scripture. And we're going to look at some of those today. And if you look at uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 13. Paul says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or die, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. And so this is speaking of that time when Jesus will return. And there will be signs when Christ, before Christ comes down to this earth, it says his feet will touch upon the Mount of Olives and it will be split in two. Amazing. But remember, it's talking there of seasons and uh, times in verse 1. And times is uh, chronos, it refers to chronological times, years and millenniums and years and Days and weeks and minutes. And the second word, their seasons or epics, means basically there's a multiple, uh, a bunch of events that are going to take place in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is that time when Christ does physically come to earth, but it includes all leading up to that as well, all the events leading up to it. So we have a record of Jesus' sermon in Matthew 24 and also in Luke 17, where Jesus himself talks about his second coming. And uh, he's actually teaching on the Mount of Olives as he's doing it. And he's saying, I'm going to return here. And then, of course, John in the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, lays out these times and events in detail. And uh, we're taught a wide range of 
future events and doctrine. And really, in the church of Thessalonica, when Paul was there, we, he was only there probably for a couple months, but he apparently taught them a lot on this subject. And that's why he says, I don't need to write anything more to you. When I was there, I taught you everything that you need to know. As a matter of fact, I even gave you some extra information about the rapture that I didn't even know. And the Lord just had revealed it to me. And so that's why it's considered a mystery. And last week we saw how the prophets in the Old Testament talk about the day of the Lord. The apostles on the first day of the church, they spoke about the day of the Lord. The book of Revelation, pretty much from cover to cover, talks about the day of the Lord. Even the Lord in several spots in the Gospels there, spoke of this day that's coming. And so the Thessalonians had a thorough understanding of this coming day of the Lord. And this is a technical term. It's a, it's a term for divine judgment. This is not really a time for unbelievers to rejoice. This is a time of sorrow. This is a time where God's wrath will be poured out upon the unbelieving population of the world. And thank God we're not here. And that's this this day of the Lord is that specific moment. It's mentioned 19 times in the Old Testament, four times in the New Testament. And it's that moment when the Son of Man sets his feet on the Mount of Olives. And according to the prophet Zechariah, it splits in two. We read about that last week. But I want you to remember here this morning, if, if you have trusted the Lord, if you have come to Christ for your salvation, if you've trusted in the work of Christ on Calvary, the only payment, the only possible payment for the forgiveness of your sins, there's good news. You don't have to worry about going through this terrible day of the Lord. Because the Bible teaches us in Chapter 4, verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians, down to verse 18, we've looked at this, that we're snatched away. Believers are taken away before this event even starts. He makes it clear in verses 4 and 5 of this text, of chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, look at what he says. He says, but you are not in darkness. Remember, he's talking about this day of the Lord, this judgment. And then he says, but you talking to the Thessalonian believers, are not in darkness, brothers. We know he's talking to Christians because he uses the word brothers. For the day to surprise you like a thief. In other words, you don't have to worry about this thief in the night coming because you're not going to be here. You're going to be home with me, the Lord is saying. And he says, I, or or verse 5, for you are children of the light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. And so Paul and Jesus both want us to know that, you know what, we are not going to be here. And that's why in verse 18 he can tell us, Paul can say, therefore Thessalonians, encourage one another with these words. This is an encouraging message. Because God, Christ, is going to return and snatch you off the earth. And even when he returns in judgment, he comes with his saints. We will return with Christ in judgment here and set up his kingdom here on earth. We'll be part of that. And uh, then we're with him through all eternity. Now, this is an event that all believers have always been curious about when this is going to happen, when this is going to take, take place. People try to write books on it. And the disciples ask questions in Acts 1 and in Matthew 24. 
When is this going to happen, Jesus? When is this going to take place? They thought it was going to happen in real time while they were there with Christ. That's what they thought. They thought he was going to go to Jerusalem not to die, but to overthrow the Roman government and everything's going to work out. No, that's, that's not the plan. And even though he had tried to tell them several times, they couldn't conceive of their Messiah dying on a cross. And so they didn't understand it. So it's very normal to ask those kind of questions But Jesus answered their question. He just didn't shove them off and say, oh, don't worry about it. No, he said, you know what? It's not for you to know the times and the seasons. Same words as were used right here in 1 Thessalonians. So apparently the Thessalonians were asking Paul, hey, when is this going to happen? And he said, it's not for you to know. The Lord said, you're not going to know. It's not helpful for you as a believer to know when I'm returning. You need to be ready all the time. I'm not going to tell you. It's like parents saying, hey, make sure your rooms are picked up when we get back. Well, what time are you coming back? <laughs> We're not going to tell you. <laughs> we can go back in five minutes. We can go back in five hours. You know, just get it done, right? So you want to motivate them. Well, the Lord wants to motivate us to live a holy life before him each and every day. Because I think if we knew the exact day, 2004, January 1st, whatever, well, we'd, we'd slough off till then. I know I would. Ah, he's not coming back for another year. I mean... <laughs> I can get things straightened out. But see, this is our hope. First John speaks of this in chapter 3. John writes this in verse 2. First John 3, 2, he says, Beloved, we are God's children now. Something happened. They were transformed by the grace of God. We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, he's not done with us yet. Amen? God's got a lot of work to do on all of us. It's called sanctification. Every day he's making us more like Christ. But he continues, he says, but we know that when he appears, Christ, we shall be like him. Why? Because when he appears in the clouds for the rapture, what's going to happen? We're going to be immediately transformed if we're alive. If we're dead in Christ, our bodies are going to be raised out of the dead to meet the soul in the air. We'll have our glorified body. He says, when we appear, he appears, we shall be like him. We will be glorified because we shall see him as he is. And everyone, look at this, verse 3, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. See, it's a motivation for us not to know the day and the hour because we got to be ready. we got to make sure that we're living for the Lord each and every day. The rapture is a signless event. It could happen right now. It could happen 20 years from now. We don't know when it will happen. It's a snatching away of all believers from the earth. There's nothing that has to happen in prophecy or in the Bible before the rapture happens. It could happen now. It could have happened in Paul's day. And that's how they lived. That's why they thought it was going to happen. It's going to happen in a moment. And it's going to be over in a twinkling of an eye, lest you think, oh, wait, I just saw a Christian pop up. I'll be converted now. It's going to happen so fast you won't have time to make that prayer. It'll be over. And so the time To prepare your heart, the time to come to Christ, beloved, is now. You don't want to wait. So we don't need to know the time. We don't need to know that because it's not instructive for us. It's it's helpful for every Christian, basically, to live a life that it would seem like it would happen any time. And we live for the Lord each and every day. And that's why John calls it a purifying hope. A purifying hope. We know that could happen at any moment. And we should keep ourselves ready for it. 
But now the day of the Lord has signs that it's leading up to it. And before the Lord comes and sets his foot on the Mount of Olives, there's various signs, and I've listed some of them there. This isn't conclusive at all. You could teach on this for months. But I just gave you six signs there. And the first one is, guess what? The rapture, the catching away, the snatching away of the church. After you see that happen, you know you're closer to the day of the Lord. It's just around the corner. That's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13 to 18 talks about that. And in a moment, in a flash, all the Christians across the entire globe will be gone. Alive and dead. And they'll be taken to heaven to be with the Lord at the marriage supper of the Lamb and receive our eternal rewards. And here on earth, guess what? The restrainer is gone. The church is gone with the Spirit, and God will unleash his wrath. And the great, terrible day of the Lord begins to be unleashed here on earth. Thank God we're not going to be here. I really don't, can't comprehend the theology of some people that say, no, no, we're, we have to go through the tribulation. Why? If Christ took all of our pain, all of our suffering, all the penalty of our sin, why would God put us in a position to receive his wrath? It doesn't make any sense to me at all. So I want to encourage you this morning, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about this day of the Lord. Uh, you know, you should still live for him each and every day because you never know when he's going to return for his church. And we want to be a faithful servant. But not only the rapture, but the rebelling and the apostate of, of uh, apostatizing of true Christianity into false Christianity. What's going to happen? And we see some of that happening now, don't we? We see people in the name of Christ teaching things that are way off. Some of them are just slightly off. Second Thessalonians, turn over a couple pages in your Bible to chapter 2. We'll get into this when we go through this book. Verse 1, he says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and listen, are being gathered to him... What's he talking about? He's talking about the rapture. He's talking about the snatching away of the church because we're gathered to him. He's not coming to us here on earth, but he's coming in the clouds and then he's taking us to be with us, be with him. He says, we ask you, brothers, verse 2, don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or even a letter that seems to be from us. Well, what's in the letter? To the effect that the day of the Lord has come. In other words, people were apparently going around the church in Thessalonica and others, other churches as well, and they were writing letters, and they were probably signing Paul's name to it, saying, hey, you know, this day of the Lord stuff, it's already happened. It's over. Don't worry about it. Matter of fact, here, Paul wrote this. Totally deceptive, because look at what it says in verse 3. Let no one deceive you in any way. So there's going to be a rebellion. There's going to be a apostatizing of the true, Christian, true Christianity, not the true Christian church. Those who are saved are not here. But those who are left, who are basically religious in name, that's what I would phrase it, um, it's going to become a, a false religion in the name of Christ. Can you believe it? And Paul says, don't, don't let them, don't be shaken by this. That's not true. Don't be 
deceived. And it's so important that we, when we study and when we listen to people and when we go on the internet and listen to sermons, and you know, there's so many resources available today, it's a blessing, but it's also very dangerous. Very dangerous. Sometimes I'm shocked by what other Christians are listening to or reading. And they think, oh, this is a great book. It's like, you know, <laughs> do you know what that guy believes? That's not a good book. It may have some good things in it, but it's not a good book. Or this guy just motivates me, you know. He, he just, the way he talks, and yeah, but listen to what he's saying. He's teaching heresy. So you have to be very, very vigilant of what you're putting in your mind today. That's why it's important to be a student of the Word of God. That's why it's important to come to Bible study. That's why it's important to understand what the Word of God says, not some author somewhere. Very important foundation to build your faith on. Not just the rapture and the rebellion, but also there's a rise in the appearance of the Antichrist, and it continues there. Just stay in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where he says, that day will not come. In other words, the day of the Lord is not going to come unless this happens, unless the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. I mean, the audacity of that. This is the Antichrist. This is the rise, the appearance of the Antichrist. We're warned in Matthew chapter 24, verse 4, by our Lord Jesus. He says, many will come in my name. There's going to be a lot of little, little C Christ running around the world saying, I'm he, I'm he. I am the Christ. And he says, and they will mislead many. This is not a joke. This is very serious. There's a lot of people out there who are saying things in the name of Christ, proclaiming, and they are anything but for Christ. They're antichrist. But the epitome of all of the little antichrists running around is this false prophet, the final world ruler, the antichrist. He's known throughout the scriptures by several names. Daniel 7, 8 calls him the little horn. Daniel eleven thirty six says, The king who does as he pleases. Second Thessalonians two three, the man of lawlessness. Also in three, the son of destruction. In the book of Revelation, it's, he's called the beast. This is someone who is demon indwelled, and he is an individual who has incredible charisma, incredible charm, persuasiveness. He's brilliant. He exercises authority. But he's also ruthless in his rule. And he's the epitome of evil and wickedness. Somebody asked me a couple of weeks ago, do you think Biden's the Antichrist? No. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just go through the list, right? Charisma, charm, persuasive, brilliance. I don't think so. But he will at first appear to be everything to a desperate world who's going through a traumatic event where all the Christians were just taken away. They just disappeared. And this individual at the beginning of the tribulation will rise up and people will look to him and his leadership and he will usher in a short 
lived error, era of, of global uh, peace and prosperity, you could say. It's going to be short-lived, but that's what people are going to be looking for. And he's going to deliver exactly what people want. And so people are just going to fall down over this guy and go, wow, this is incredible. The Bible even says in Daniel 9 that he will make a seven-year pact with Israel. See, Israel's always the center of Bible prophecy. It's just the center. You can't get away from it. That's why we don't believe in replacement theology. We don't believe the church replaced Israel. That's a lie from the pit of hell. Israel is God's chosen people, and he will fulfill his promises to Israel. But he promises Israel during this seven-year pact, he's promising them security, he's promising them protection. And you know what? That's something the nation of Israel has always longed for. Think about it. Israel's this tiny, tiny little sliver of land in the Middle East. And all all of history is focused on it. I mean, they always make a big deal of, of you know, well, the Israeli pilots, they flew, they flew into someone else's airspace. I said, well, they can't help it but fly into someone airspace. You can't even fly across the Dead Sea before you've got to turn these, you know, supersonic jets they have. Of course they're going to be able to go into someone else's airspace now and then. It's amazing. We, I remember we were over there in the Dead Sea, and we saw, I think there were F-15s just, you know, just off the water coming up. It's amazing. But, I mean, in a blink, they're from one end of Israel to the other. So, I mean, they don't have a lot of room to negotiating airspace over there. But he's going to proclaim that he's going to protect them and provide peace for them. But what happens is halfway through the tribulation, the tribulation is basically broken two, three and a half years and three and a half years. And the second half is known as the Great Tribulation. And that's where a lot of the more of the wrath of God really pours out, and there's a lot of human suffering, there's a lot of death, we'll be talking about this. But the Antichrist, three and a half years into the tribulation, will basically reveal his true colors. He's a fraud. He's an imposter. And he will put a stop to Israel's religion, He will stop their worship. He will desecrate their temple. It says that he will go in there and he will set himself up as God. And he will demand that the world worship him. I mean, that's amazing to think that. And all these people are going to be following him. So you have this rise of the Antichrist as one of the signs that, well, we're pretty well on our way to the day of the Lord. But also, fourthly, you have the reception of dramatic signs and wonders. Dramatic things are going to start happening. We've read some scriptures. I'm not going to spend a, lot, a whole lot of time here. But I just want to read for you Joel chapter 2, verse 30, 32. It says, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. The good thing in that verse, and I read it last week as well, in verse 32, there's hope. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. See, people ask, well, can, can, you, can you be in the tribulation and be saved? Definitely. Definitely. There's people that are going to be saved in the tribulation. They're going to come to Christ. But after this Antichrist sets up his rule and reign and desecrates the temple and says, you have to worship me, you can't worship Christ anymore. 
well, then they're going to have a hard decision to make. Because basically, if you don't worship the Antichrist, you're executed, you're beheaded. That's the cost. That's why I'm saying, man, don't wait. Don't wait to come to Christ. Why go through all that, right? I mean, why would you want to go through that? I mean, I'm waiting for the Lord to come back and just snatch us out of here and be with the Lord. Verse 29 of chapter 24 of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew 24, 29, it says this, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven. So there's going to be asteroids or planets, something hitting the the earth. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And there's a lot more of signs and wonders we don't have time to go into today. But during that time, it's not going to be a fun time. Fifthly, not just a reception of dramatic times, but the reality of the appearance of the Son of Man. This is kind of the epitome of the the day of the Lord. This is what really it leads to. Matthew 24, 30. It says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. That's Christ. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The Lord will actually return, and when He returns, when He comes down, everyone will see Him. Everyone. Around the entire globe. That's going to be unmistakable. And there's a lot more signs between the rapture and the appearing of the Lord. And they're outlined if you want to read about them in Matthew 24, uh, Luke 17. Uh, You can go back to the book of Revelation and read chapters 6 to 18. And if you're a believer, just take comfort in the fact that you're not going to be here. God doesn't have you under his wrath. There's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And if you're not, that's what you have to look forward to. So I would encourage you to put your faith, your trust in Christ today. And then the last sign here I put down is the rolling out of the seven seals, the seven judgments, and the seven bulls. We're not going to go into all that, but just to let you know, they're all laid out in Revelation. There's very specific signs. There's 21 of them, and they kind of come one after the other. The last seal is the first trumpet, and the last trumpet is the first bull. They kind of telescope out of each other. They're very explicit and clear signs. There's no way you could miss this. They're not mistakable signs because they involve things like this. They involve the death of life in all the seas. I mean, think about that. I mean, I think they had a whale over in Half Moon Bay or something or somewhere over there on the coast that died up on the... I mean, think of the stench of that. Can you imagine if everything in the ocean died? Wow. I think people would realize that. It also indicates another sign that a third of the population of the earth is killed. A third. I mean, we just came through a pandemic, right? Made a big deal about that. Think about a third of the population. And in another place, it says a fourth of the remaining population will be killed. That's a lot of people. There's going to be meteors or some kind of heavenly bodies crashing into the earth. The water, will, which once was fresh, will be poisoned, it says. It says all the vegetation, the green grass, will be burned up. I mean, think about the things you're taking away. Water, vegetation, food. It's going to be very, very devastating. 
It speaks of earthquakes. I mean, we're used to earthquakes, right, here in California. Yeah, I got an earthquake. No big deal. No, this is, this is like a day of earthquakes after a day of earthquakes after a day of earthquakes. And they're not little tremblers. These earthquakes are wreaking havoc on the earth. And what happens when you have a seven-plus earthquake? There's death. There's destruction. These are going to be earthquakes like the world has never known. In all of these things, there's going to be wars breaking out, obviously because of the lack of sustenance for people. So there's going to be wars over water and food and all kinds of things, oil and rumors of war. There's going to be that desolation of the temple in Jerusalem called the abomination of desolation. So there's all these signs that are, that are going to be played out. And they, it all happens after the church is taken out, after the church is raptured away. So the question I have for you this morning is simply this. When we read our text in verse 3... How is, or verse, the end of verse 2, the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying, there is peace and security. And then all of a sudden, destruction will come. Well, wait a minute. I thought you just said there's going to be all these signs leading up to this day of the Lord. How is it then that the Lord will come like a thief in the night? How is it he's going to come and nobody's going to expect it after all this tragedy has befallen the earth? I mean, a thief comes to your house when he's not expected, right? You don't invite a thief over and say, here, come steal what you want. He comes when you least expect it. And my question is, how is it the world is going to be able to explain away all this stuff? What are they going to say after the church is gone? You're talking thousands, maybe millions of people gone from this world. In a, in a second, millisecond. How are they going to explain the the rise of this Antichrist? How are they going to explain away the apostasy of those that are left? How are they going to explain about all the events that come out of these, these seals and trumpets and bowls? How are they going to explain away all these signs that the Lord says will happen? I mean, how is it possible that the world, having all that going on around them, all that suffering and human death and everything, is still not going to understand, you know what, the day of the Lord is, is near, you better get ready. Well, the answer comes there in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction. Some translations say while they are saying. Up to this point, Paul is talking to the Thessalonians. He's saying you, 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 you. If you go back through the letter, it's you. He's talking to Christians. You yourselves don't need me to write anything else. You know full well. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the Thessalonians. Well, all of a sudden, he switches it up, doesn't he? He goes, well, they. Well, who, who are these people that are saying there's peace and there's security? Who, who would say that? During this time of God's outpour of wrath, who could do such convincing of the world that is literally under the siege of God himself that they would say, oh, it looks like everything's going to work out? <laughs> who could cause them to believe that they're safe 
Because the conditions in the world that when this day comes will deceive many. These people will say peace and safety. There's an extreme danger involved here, and there's also deception that is widespread. Well, how is it then that the Lord will come as a thief in the night? Simple question. Well, the Old Testament gives us the answer. The Old Testament gives us the answer. So I want you to turn over to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. How are these people so deceived in the midst of all this destruction that they think, oh, peace and safety, this is great. Jeremiah. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6 first. God had called Jeremiah, who was a prophet of God, to warn the people of God of the coming enemy. That's what his role was. To warn the people of God of the coming enemy, the captivity, the slaughter, the judgment, everything that was coming. And this was, you could refer to this as a historical day of the Lord. Because in the Old Testament, sometimes when it talks about the day of the Lord, it's talking about maybe the people of God, Israel, undergoing attacks from their enemies. And so the prophets would prophesy this to happen, and it happened. Historically, it happened. And it's kind of a precursor to to what we have to look forward to when the actual day of the Lord comes. But in Jeremiah chapter 6, you see here his his warning. He says, flee for safety, verse 1, Jeremiah 6, 1. O people of Benjamin, from the midst of Jerusalem, blow the trumpet of Tekoa and raise a signal on Beth Hachiram, for disaster looms out of the north and great destruction. This is what? This is a warning. He's he's just being obedient to God. He may not even understand it, but he's just doing what God told him to do. Hey, I'm warning you folks. You better get ready for this. Look at verse 8, Jeremiah 6. Be warned, O Israel, lest I turn from you in disgust. This is God speaking through his prophet. Lest I make you a desolation, an uninhabited land. This is the prophet Jeremiah telling the people the day of the Lord is coming. Historically, it's talking about the the judgment that's coming by the hands of the Babylonians. And it was going to be a, a, a bloodbath of horrific proportions. And you say, well, what did they do? You know what they did? They took Jeremiah the prophet of God, who was speaking the word of God to God's people, and guess what they did with him? They threw him in a pit. So we don't want to hear this. They rejected him completely, and they rejected everything that he said and every warning he gave. They got rid of him. They virtually silenced him. They said, we don't want to hear this message. I mean, how could they do that when he was speaking the very word of God? How could they not see the signs that he pointed to on their own and see their own corruption? How were they so blind to this? I mean, why didn't they expect this judgment? Well, look back at chapter 5 of Jeremiah, verse 30. Because it kind of tells us, Jeremiah 5.30, it says this, An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. This is what happened. The prophets, what? Prophesy falsely. 
and the priests rule at their direction, not God's. My people love to have it so. But what will you do when the end comes? So what is going on here? What was happening was that even in the midst of all these signs, of all this tragedy that's, that's going to come down the, the path here, the indications of judgment that are coming, the prophets were prophesying lies. They were deceiving people. These people were living under a deceptive lie. And the ironic thing is, the most important thing of it is, is he says, my people love it. Wow. Think of how many churches are full today where the teacher is a false teacher. The teacher is a heretic. It's all based on prosperity. It's all based on wealth. It's all based on healing and all this stuff to get the people focused on and gold dust coming out of the air conditioner units and all kinds of crazy stuff these, these nut jobs do to fill their churches. But you know what? The people love it. The people love it. The people aren't saying, well, that doesn't make much sense. Gold dust coming out of an air conditioning duct. How do we know that's from God? How do we know that's the Holy Spirit? This is what people are teaching today. It's bizarre. People flopping around on the ground. Oh, that's the Spirit. I don't think so. It's a Spirit, all right, but it ain't the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you that much. And the people love it. Why? Because they want to hear what they want to hear. What does Paul tell Timothy? Preach the word. There's going to come a time when people will not want to hear it. What do they want? They want their ears tickled. Build my self-esteem up. Make me feel better. That's what I want. God forbid a teacher should stand up and preach something that has something of value, something that's biblical, something that's, that's convicting. Most churches won't even mention the word sin anymore. Well, that offends people. Yeah, it should. It offends God. Go back to Jeremiah 6.13. It continues and, and it tells even more about this deception. From, for from the least to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. Do you ever stop and just question, why are these people on TV begging for your last dollar? Just, just give that seed gift of $1,000. As I get into one of my Learjets and fly to one of my multi-million dollar mansions somewhere, you know, it's kind of like politicians, millionaire politicians asking you for money. My answer is, you know what, pay for your own campaign, pal. I'm trying to balance my checkbook here. There's nothing wrong with supporting legitimate ministries. Don't get me wrong. We're called to do that. But don't throw your money after heretics and people that are just squandering your gift on their opulent lifestyle. I mean, how many houses does Benny Hinn have to own that are multi-million dollar homes before it's too many? Or how many jets do these guys have to own? And they justify it. It's It's sickening. I'm sure it sickens the heart of God. But here, everybody, from the least to the greatest, everyone is unjust gain. And for, from prophet to priest, they're all in it together. Everyone deals falsely, he says in verse 13. 
Verse 14, they have healed the wound of my people lightly. See, they throw in some good news just to kind of keep everybody on the dole, saying, peace, peace. But you know what? There is no peace, Jeremiah says. Where's the peace? It's like listening to a White House press briefing today. You know, what are you going to do about the border crisis? Oh, there's no border crisis. What are you talking about? What are you going to do about the, oh, the economy's great. I mean, it's like, where do these people live? What, I mean, what kind of bubble do they live in? I mean, people are really struggling to fill their tanks, to put food on their tables. And our political leaders are saying, oh, well, that's just, everything's fine. Don't look here. Jeremiah 8, verse 11, he continues. Because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. Says the same thing. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Uh, verse 14 says basically the same thing as 13, but uh, chapter 14, verses 13 to 14. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, verse 13 of Jeremiah 14, You shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. These people are doing this in God's name. I did not send them, look at what he says, nor did I command them to or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination in the deceit of their own minds. We are so gullible sometimes as Christian people. So gullible, a couple can take their little child, write a book and say, yeah, this is the little child. He went to heaven and here's what he saw. And make millions and millions and millions of dollars off a book and a movie. And everybody goes, oh, isn't that sweet? Until you read the book or you watch the movie and go, well, that's not what the Bible says about heaven. I don't know what heaven he went to, but he didn't go to the heaven of the Bible. Things don't add up. It's a scam. You know the faith healers that are always healing people in foreign countries. Oh, over in Africa. Oh, amazing things are happening. Why aren't they in the hospitals if they're a faith healer, if God has actually given them the ability to heal people? Because they can't do it. It's a fraud. Not saying that God doesn't heal. God does. But he doesn't need some health and wealth guy to do it through. So they are living in the deceit of their own minds. So why is it that people living in, the, in these events leading up to the day of the Lord don't see the day of the Lord coming? The answer is because there's going to be false, countless false prophets lying to them. And yes, guess what? They want to believe the lie. They want to believe the lie. Lamentation, also written by Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 2, verse 14. He says this, Your prophets have seen for you false and deceptive visions. They have not exposed your iniquity to restore your fortunes, but have seen for you oracles that are false and misleading. See, what's going to happen in that era is that the world is going to be overrun. We think it's bad now. Wait till then. They're going to be on every corner pushing their false religious doctrines. Micah, last reference here, Micah chapter 3, verse 5 says this, thus the Lord, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who led my people astray. 
Does God have an opinion about this? Definitely. You do something in the Lord's name that the Lord's not telling you to do, you better be careful. I've talked to many people and come and said that God told them they, they should do this ministry, whatever it might be, teach or whatever. And usually you can listen to them about 15 minutes and you realize, you know, I don't know what calling you got, but it, <laughs> it wasn't a calling from the Lord, trust me, because I don't even know what you're talking about. They don't have a gift of teaching, but they're claiming that God told them this or that. Well, here's what God says about the prophets who lead people astray, who cry peace when they have something to eat, but declare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. God is not pleased with this. He, it, cr- it creates much displeasure in the heart of God when you do something in the Lord's name that he has not told you, instructed you to do. Go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So when he says in verse 3, while people are saying there is peace and security and then sudden destruction falls on them, who are these people? These are false prophets. These are false teachers. These are false leaders. And it says that they are saying there is peace and security. Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman going to be gradual any woman that's had a baby realizes well the pains start and then they grow in intensity right that's what he's saying these are going to increase but look at what he says at the end of verse 3 and they will not escape they will not escape our lord even addresses these individuals in matthew chapter 24 verse 21 in his own sermon on his second coming, he says, for there will be a great tribulation. That's the seven-year tribulation we talked about. For there will be a great tribulation such as not been since the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. You think Noah had it bad. You think the people in Noah's day, they, they can't hold a match to this. <clears throat> Verse 22, and if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. So there will be people during this time who come to Christ. Just like we're living in the, the age of the church now, and there's a time of grace, right? I mean, we're, we're given the gospel message that Jesus died for your sins, that you're a sinner and you need forgiveness for your sins. You're looking at eternal penalty from God, punishment for all eternity in a place called hell, a place of torment, a place of darkness. You're not going to be partying with your friends in hell. You're going to be by yourself. You're going to be alone. And yet in hell, you're going to understand perfectly the gospel. You're going to understand perfectly God's love for you. And yet it's going to be too late to do anything about it because you've incurred the condemnation because you would not come to Christ. You thought it was a fairy tale or you thought it wasn't real. If you're here this morning and you're wondering, is this message of the gospel true? Would God really send his son to the cross to die for my sins? At least investigate it. Don't rely on what you've been taught. At least investigate it for yourself. Don't even take what I say. Take the Bible and start reading it. Read through the gospel of John. Read through 1 John. And ask God to speak to your heart. Because there's a room full of people here today. We're not a bunch of idiots. 
We really know that the Lord did save us. He did transform our lives. We did come to Christ. We did bow our knee. He is our Lord, our Savior. And he transformed us. He changed us. And now there's nothing more than what we would want to do is for you to hear the message and to respond affirmatively to the gospel of Christ. I mean, this is the worst accumulation of natural and supernatural disasters in the entire history of humanity. And it's all unfolding in a very, very, very brief time. Several years. Matthew 24, verse 23, Jesus continues and he says, And if anyone says to you, look... Here is the Christ, or there is the Christ. Don't believe him. There's going to be people during this time saying, hey, we know where the Messiah is. He came back. Come on. He's out there in a cave. We'll show you where he's at. What's Christ saying is, don't you believe that? Don't believe that. They're trying to trick you. They're probably trying to see if you're actually looking for the Messiah. And if you are, then guess what? Well, you must be one of those Christians. Guess what? You're going to get your head cut off now. Thank you very much. For believing our deceptive lie. Verse 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform, listen to this, great signs and wonders. Somehow they're going to be given supernatural powers, probably demonic powers. I think some of this is going on now, today. There are people who say that, oh, that's the work of God. I, I know a brother in the Lord who used to be a pastor in a certain church, and he said he knew he was in, in, in the wrong church when on a Wednesday night they had a woman kind of walk in the middle of the Bible study, and she came down, and she was acting all strange, and she collapsed on the floor. So his church, small church, um, they were a continuation church. They believed all, in all the gifts and everything. They started praying for this lady, and as the pastor prayed, this lady levitated off the ground, and started speaking some weird gibberish. And he said, I knew I was in the wrong church when my whole congregation started going, oh, praise God. And he said, this is not from God. This is something very seriously demonic. But see, we so much want to believe the supernatural sign. You know, we so much want to believe, you know, I hear Christians say all the time, well, the Lord just spoke to my heart. Really? Chapter verse. That's my answer. Show me. Well, no, it wasn't really a verse. It was just kind of, I was shaving, and you know, I just felt this warm feeling. And uh, You know what? I'm suspect of everything and everybody. So, I, you know, I, and I would encourage you to be that. Because there are false teachers. There's false prophets that will be able to perform great signs. They'll be able to give you that warm belly, that feeling in your belly that makes you want to believe what they're saying is true. And then it says, so as to lead astray, if possible. It's not. But if possible, even the elect. You can't lose your salvation once you come to Christ. Once you bow the knee to Christ, you are saved for all eternity. There's no way, there's no way that you could be deceived to the point of losing your salvation. That's why he says, if it's possible, it's not. Verse 25, see, I have told you beforehand. In other words, I'm giving you clues here, folks. This is what Jesus did while he was here on earth. I'm telling you all this stuff for a reason. Verse 26. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness. Do not go out. This is what the Lord says. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. Verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. In other words, when he comes, guess what? You're going to know it. 
You're not going to have any kind of, huh, I wonder if that's Jesus up there in the cloud. No, you will know it. God will make sure that you know it. Verse 28, because there's so much death, it says, wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. So the day of the Lord is coming. Not only the day of the Lord is coming, but when the, all the signs that preclude the day of the Lord that, that come before it, leading up to that day, to unfold human history on this earth, you have to beware. There's going to be false teachers who are going to lie to you, and they're going to say peace and safety where there is no peace and there will be no safety. Why can people possibly living in the middle of all this not believe they're near the day of the Lord? Because many will come in my name, Jesus said, I am the Christ, and lead many astray. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs. There's, there's going to be, just that's just going to be the way it is during that time. It's going to be an unleashing of lying teachers to explain away everything that's happening. One last verse in Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel chapter 13. It's another prophet of God in the Old Testament who prophesied about the coming judgment of the Lord uh, on Israel and Judah. And I'll just read it for us. It's a rather lengthy thing. You can follow along if you want. Beginning in verse 8, Ezekiel chapter 13, verse 8. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have uttered falsehood, here we go again, and seeing lying visions, therefore, behold, I am against you, declares the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who see false visions and who give lying divinations. They shall not be in the council of my people, nor be enrolled in the register of the house of Israel, nor shall they enter the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord God. Verse 10, precisely because you have misled my people, saying peace, where there is no peace, and because when the people build a wall, he begins to give an illustration. When the people build a wall, these prophets smear it with whitewash saying to those who smear it with whitewash that it shall fail, that it shall fall. There will be a deluge of rain, and you, O great hailstones, will fall, and a stormy wind break out. And when the wall falls, will it not be said of you, where is the coating with which you smeared it? Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will make a stormy wind break out in my wrath, and there shall be a deluge of rain in my anger and great hailstones in wrath to make a full end. Verse 14, and I will break down the wall that you have smeared with whitewash and bring it down to the ground so that its foundation will be laid bare. And when it falls, you shall perish in the midst of it, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 15, thus will I spend my wrath upon the wall and upon those who have smeared it with whitewash, and I will say to you, the wall is no more, nor those who smeared it. The prophets of Israel who prophesied concerning Jerusalem and saw visions of peace for her when there was no peace, declares the Lord 
God. What is this all about? He, he explains here the prophets are erecting a wall. It's a wall of lies. It's not true. It's a facade. It's like the walls we used to put up for VBS. It looks like a big giant stone wall, but it's just a piece of cardboard painted that way. Right? You can pick it up with one hand. And he's saying they plastered over this wall with whitewash to make it look substantial. You know, I was painting our house this past couple of weeks and a couple of the bedrooms. And we only have two bedrooms, but both bedrooms got one done. But as I was standing, my hand actually went through part of the wall. And I'm like, what in the world? And apparently where the door was, there was a, you know, somebody slammed the door and it's a plaster. They're plaster walls, so they're pretty hardy. It's like concrete. And, uh, and so when I was standing, I was pushing kind of hard and it went right in. I'm thinking, and they put paper, they crumpled up paper below it, and they just took some mud, can you understand this, and just slim smeared over it. So as soon as I put any pressure on it, boy, it went, my hand went right through it. So I had to fix it. And, and all I'm saying is that that's what, that's what these false teachers have done. They've, they've made this scenario of, hey, there's peace and safety. We're going to tell you the truth. You know, yeah, just give your money to me. And it's a false wall. It's fake. False teachers are building a false wall, a wall that offers you zero protection. Zero protection. And it's going to come crashing down in judgment, the prophet says. But that is exactly what false teachers do. That's their stock and trade. It's bait and switch. And our Lord says the same thing in Matthew 24. He's saying judgment is coming, and here are the preliminaries. You know, at the same time, you're going to be overrun with false teachers, and they're going to convince people in the midst of all this suffering, that there's peace and safety. That's the work of false teachers. But the day of the Lord is coming, and I want you to know that what the signs are and what the events and times and seasons are reasoning up to it. And the, way the, the, the reason the Lord wants us to know that is two, twofold. First of all, so that we can thank the Lord that we're not here. Amen. Thank God we're not here during these times as the church. We're not going to be part of this. But secondly, so that we can warn people. So that we can warn people now of the reality of it. We don't want to forget that the Lord is coming back. We all have probably unbelieving relatives, unbelieving friends. And we need to be busy about the the business of sharing Christ with them. I mean, I think too often we think we're, well, we got next week. We got whatever. We'll just do this. You know what? And then that person dies. And we think, ah, I should have taken advantage of the opportunity I had. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception of those who are perishing. And it tells us why they're perishing in that verse. In verse 10, 2 Thessalonians 2.10, it says, Because... Those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Why do people go to hell? They go to hell as payment for their sin, but they go to hell because they what? They have rejected God's free offer of salvation. God has said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's not a false promise. That's a reality. But in verse 11, their belief is so great 
2 Thessalonians 2.11, they reject the gospel. They say, you know what, I'm not going to believe this God stuff. Sounds like a fairy tale, I'm not going to believe it. Well, guess what? Verse 11, it says, therefore, be based on the fact that they reject the gospel, they reject Christ's offer of free salvation, therefore God sends them a strong delusion. This comes from God. God says, okay, you're not going to believe the truth? Have it your way. Just like Burger King. So that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Wow. The time to believe is today. The time to come to Christ is now. You don't want to wait. You don't want to say, well, how do you know? I mean, Christ could come back today and we'd be gone. You'd be left here to deal with the day of the Lord. You could still come to Christ. But you're going to have a whole lot more to deal with then. I'd much rather be with Christ in heaven. These group of people are going to believe these false teachers. They're going to believe all the lies. They're going to reject the gospel. And then God, it says, is going to send them a deluding influence and lock them in their deception. There's no hope for them at that point. I mean, we should always give thanks to God for his salvation, should we not? Father, we ask, Lord, now, even now, that you would help us to understand these things. Lord, it's, it's an encouraging message in the fact that we won't, uh, we won't be here as a church to, to deal with this. We'll be snatched away. We'll be raptured up. We'll be taken back to heaven with you for all the glory that we'll experience there. But here on earth, for the people that are left behind, it's, it's going to be tragic. It's going to be horrific. Suffering as the world has never understood or known beyond even our own comprehension. Even Hollywood can't do justice to this kind of suffering. And Father, it's going to happen. And we pray, Lord, that you would move the hearts of your people, that you would move here even now in in the hearts of people gathered here this morning, that if there's anyone here who's yet to put their faith or trust in Christ, that they would understand this is serious business. This isn't isn't make-believe. This is reality. I mean, you just have to look at the world and realize that there's sin, that there's people that are doing things to harm others, and harm themselves, and dishonor God. There's sin all around us. So if there's sin around us, that must mean that there's evil. And if there's evil, the Bible says our own hearts are evil. It's filled with evil. You may be a good person by the world's standards, but not by God's standards. We've ever even told one lie or thought one thought that's not honoring to Christ or God. If we've ever taken anything irrespective of its value, stolen something. If we've ever used God's name in vain, he calls that blasphemy. That's not a joke. But all those sins Christ paid for, all those can be dealt with in one single, solitary, obedient act from our heart, saying, yes, you know what? I am a sinner. I do need God's grace. I want to be forgiven. I'm tired of carrying this burden of sin with me every day, trying to do more, to to do good, to try to make it go away, but it just seems to cling on me. You can't do anything to make it go away outside of coming to Christ. If you come to Christ, if you bow your knee to the cross, 
If you trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior and say, Lord, you know what? I've been living up to this point for my own glory. I want to start living for your glory. I believe that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to pay for my sins. And I believe that he died on Calvary. He paid for my sins. And on the third day, he, he rose from the dead. Lord, give me the faith to believe in the Son of God as my Savior and as my Lord. And I want to follow him now all the rest of my days. I pray that you would grant me salvation, Lord. Be merciful to me, a sinner. He'll answer that prayer when it's prayed from a sincere heart. He's not going to make you into some religious nut that goes out and carries a 20-pound Bible around or something like that. Don't be fearful of that. God doesn't want us to do that. He'll turn you into the, the person he designed you to be. And you'll have a newfound love for your family and your friends and in the, the body of Christ, and for God himself. God will make you a new person. Old things will pass away. Behold, all things will become new. It doesn't matter what you've done before. God will forgive it if you just cry out to him. Ask him for his grace. Ask him for his forgiveness. And as believers, Lord, I pray that as we leave here today, we would be more aware of the need to share Christ with others, whether it's by handing a track Dave just filled up all the track racks. We got all the, the tracks we need. Lord, we pray that we would see people taking them and taking them out and handing them off at a restaurant after you eat a meal with a tip or taking it to a gas station attendant or your mechanic or the guy that works at the supermarket or the gal at the car wash, whatever it might be. And if they ask that we can be ready to tell them that there is a Savior who will forgive them. And that we would start being that salt and light that you called us to be as a church. Because we don't know how much time we have left, Lord. But we pray we make the most of it. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. All God's people said, amen, amen. Let's stand together and we'll close with one last song.